All right. It is the week of March 21st, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ogier, and today, the meat and potatoes of the show is going to be all about Endeavor's earnings. So Endeavor, the UFC parent company, recently revealed their earnings this past week on their normal scheduled earnings call, but they did announce that the UFC had the best year ever in the company's history in 2021. They gave us a couple of specifics. We're going to break down and analyze those specifics and kind of infer what we can from the not-so-specifics. We'll talk about potential growth catalysts to keep the ball rolling and the party you know, just nonstop over at Endeavor in the UFC and the obstacles and risks they may face that might slow things down or cause you know, this huge surge in revenue to kind of curtail and plateau, maybe even dip. We'll break all of that down. Then we're going to talk about the UFC going into the UK market. You had the UFC London show this past weekend. Of course, was a huge hit. We're going to kind of combo the business side of things with the UFC getting some deals done in the UK, as well as Patty Pimblett's salary. If you did not see, Patty Pimblett refuted a false salary report. Thank goodness, because I've been trying to do it forever. We're going to break that down because, of course, we have to with as much as we talk about fake salary information that's floating out there. And thank God we get to have a positive story about this for once. Uh, Then we're going to talk about the NLRB reopening a particular case that could affect UFC quite a bit and is one of those obstacles and risks that Endeavor and the UFC may be moving forward. Lastly, we're going to cap everything off with a segment I like to call Good Deal or Bad Deal, Triller Acquiring Pillow Fighting Championship. Good deal, bad deal. I will give you my analysis and thoughts as well as a verdict to wrap up the show. So timestamps are at the bottom as always. If you are on YouTube, uh, if you're listening on any you know, Spotify podcast, anything like that, they will be in the description. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. So first off, we are talking about Endeavor's earnings call that took place on March 16th, a review of their Q4 2021, as well as like a 2021 recap. If you are an Endeavor shareholder or an Endeavor executive, you were probably a very, very happy person. Um, EPS beat by 65.77% and revenue beat by 10%. That's stock price went up. If you bought call options for Endeavor before that call, you are probably a happy, happy person. If you don't know what call options are, well, you can look them up and do all that. But I mean, yeah, it's good times for those of you that hold Endeavor stock. Um, Of course, we at the Fight Business Podcast are going to focus more on the UFC and how that helped to be, you know, such a great call for Endeavor, what the UFC's part was and all of that. And in layman's terms, it it was huge. It was the biggest part. Spoiler. By far, UFC contributed the most to Endeavor having such a glowing call and getting the kind of revenue and beating Wall Street's expectations in the way it's did. If you haven't listened to the podcast before or um, you haven't seen my previous episodes about this, the UFC is the lifeblood of Endeavor's financial, right? It's the heart and soul of Endeavor's portfolio right now. This call was important because some of their other companies are now finally starting to gain traction outside of the pandemic. Um, On location services, which do kind of like VIP events and all of that, they did the Super Bowl. That was huge for them. Um, There are a couple other companies, Endeavor Content, started producing some series. You have Severance on Apple TV, which is starting to take off. Um, Did a collaboration with Adam Scott and Ben Stiller directing. That's been a big thing. They're finally gaining traction and starting to pull their weight. But the UFC has been carrying Endeavor for quite some time now and still is the main crown jewel of the portfolio. If you took the UFC out, Endeavor's in big trouble. Share prices tanking, bad times with their high debt load, everything else going on. It's not a pretty sight right now. But the UFC in there, well, it helps essentially give the other companies the breathing room they need to get off the ground. And now they're starting to get off the ground. So of course it's a big old party, right? I mean, this is what happens. If you bought Endeavor calls again before that, earnings call, you probably have a very, very happy person. Um, kind of wish I would have, but that's not my thing, right? Um, so with that in mind, we're going to focus on the fight part of the Endeavor earnings. Um, and that 
is summarized very well by, of course, one of the big business three, uh, Paul Gift over at Forbes. And so taking some tidbits here from his article that he posted on March 16th, uh, we have Endeavor's own sports properties brought in a total of $1.1 billion in revenue and $538 million in adjusted EBITDA, or earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization. So easiest way in layman's terms to talk about EBITDA versus revenue is think of it similarly to how you get your paycheck, you get that gross number, and then there's federal income tax and social security and Medicare. And then you end up, if you're in the US, that is, then you end up with your net income. That's basically, again, the difference between revenue and EBITDA. Uh, some differences in there. It's not apples to apples. If you want to actually know more about it, look up how EBITDA works and all of that. But it's the gist is, is generally the same. Um, the UFC is believed to comprise a lion's share of the owned sports property segment. Some estimates had 2021 revenues in the 900 billion dollar range adjusted EBITDA the upper 400 million um, Moody's had put up something around 890 so that you know kind of makes sense it's it's in that range uh, I mean it's it's a that type of EBITDA is insane I mean people do not appreciate just how nuts that is uh, I've talked on several other podcasts and in um, some of the consulting I do about, you know, overvaluation, right? This hypervaluation, especially in the startup world where you've got very little revenue coming in and then multiples upon multiples upon multiples of valuations. That type of EBITDA is the type of thing where it easily warrants those type of valuations, right? Um, if you're bringing in 538 million in your sports properties, uh, that I mean, just the sports properties alone, if they were its own separate company, which the UFC technically is in terms of a subsidiary, even it all rolls up. But I mean, if the UFC, let me put it this way. If the UFC had been allowed to spin off into its own company, it would be just a money-making monster machine, which goes to speak on fighter pay, which we'll talk a about it in a little bit and, and the way that they've expertly cut their costs. I, I mean, money making monster is what the UFC is. Um, yeah. Even, even if the sports properties, you know, there's other things contributing to that 1.1 billion. So it's, it's less of a percentage the UFC is making up, you know, UFC is, is making up most of it. That's just insanity. That type of even, I cannot stress that enough. You do not see that very often in a company. That is a, a pure profit machine company. Um, <clears throat> let's see some other other tidbits here. Manuel, Ari Manuel and Endeavor CFO, Jason Lubin, were careful not to provide too many UFC specifics, of course. Uh, they highlighted keep drivers of promotions growth. And that is currently in the middle of a domestic broadcast and pay-per-view distribution with ESPN through 2025, which we'll talk about a little bit more here in a bit. Uh, sponsorships, international media rights, and commercial pay-per-view. So those are the big drivers, right? And, and all, again, line up with what we know. You got the ESPN deal, which is the biggest one, I would say. You got sponsorships, which I've been hammering the past several weeks and how they've been just going wild. International media rights, talked about the renegotiated rights with the China deal, the Russia deal, you know, is coming up here soon, although that's now a huge thing because of the war. Uh, but, you know, those renegotiating of international media rights is always good. And then commercial pay-per-view is important because that's when we're talking about bars. We're talking about, um, you know, venues, theaters are a huge growing segment of that. If you haven't noticed lately, a lot of your local theaters, AMCs or not local, sorry, some local, but a lot of chains and some local um, are, are showing pay-per-view events in their theaters and giving you that theater experience. It's a smart partnership, and it seems to be having an impact. Um, in the third quarter of 2021, sponsorship revenue was up 59% relative to pre-pandemic 2019, and the promotion saw its best quarter for commercial pay-per-view sales, there you go, since the onset of the pandemic. 
for 2021 as a whole, UFC sponsorship revenues reached record highs and 14 new international media rights deals were signed with an average annual increase of 94% over prior contract terms. And then also goes on to mention that nine pay-per-view events uh, were sold out when in 2022, or I'm sorry, in 2020, there weren't any real pay-per-views. Pay-per-views selling out, yeah, gate is great, but that's not the thing we need to focus on. It's those other three. Um, Highest, or I'm sorry, best quarter for commercial pay-per-view sales since the onset of pandemic. Again, makes sense. Restrictions being lifted pretty much everywhere. Travel is spiking. Um, People are going out more doing things. That makes perfect sense. 94% over prior contract terms for it international media rights deal. That's massive. I mean, especially if you've got some of these deals, which are, you know, two to three years, I mean, you're just doubling it. That's huge. It's insane. And then the 59% sponsorship revenue, we've talked about this. Sponsorship has been a huge focus to keep revenue growing. Again, we've gone through that they've, they've done a lot of their cost cutting. They will continue to do some cost cutting, but that's not where they're going to really see extra revenue coming in. Their main thing is sponsorships and international media rights deals, especially international media rights deals increasing 94% over prior contract terms. They are hitting these deals hard, which again, we'll talk about in the next segment here because this might be my favorite tidbit Important international markets like Brazil, the UK, and Scandinavia will all have media rights up for renewal in 2022, this year. So you can see where we're going in the next segment, talking about how the UFC is hitting the UK hard. Um, But, you know, all in all, again, just fantastic results for the UFC coming out of the pandemic. The pandemic if anything, helped push the sport to a much higher level. Being that first sport back when everything shut down, I think was massive. Uh, Regularly putting on events when a lot of other things had restrictions or it was, you know, causing issues. So you were the only thing to watch. I mean, it, it was brilliant. Brilliant. Them being the first sport back is huge. Uh, Margin call. One of my favorite financial movies it's uh, uh, grossly exaggerated i'm sure in some ways in other ways it's unfortunately not but um there's a scene where jeremy irons is talking about you know what you do in situations and make and how you make money and it's you you either be first be smarter or you cheat and you know ufc doesn't cheat as far as i know other than what we they, they have certain ethics things, although it's not technically cheating. Uh, So it's fine. Um, And from a business standpoint, we're not going down the moral path. Um, In terms of being smarter, well, yeah, that that can work to an extent sometimes, but being first is the easiest, right? Um, If you are first to the market, it's huge. And in a sense, it was first to the market because you had everyone at home. You had Netflix, you had some streaming services, but then you had a ton of sports fans, especially around March Madness, which had just gotten canceled, who were craving something. And you were the first gig back in town, regularly back in town too. I mean, it it's no surprise that they got as big of a bump as they did. They got some of the best marketing they could have ever possibly gotten by being the only option um, during the pandemic. And so increasing sponsorship deals, right, is another thing about this because in this article, Lubin, the CFO of Endeavor mentioned, um, continued momentum would drive Endeavor's own sports property segment. So when he's talking about that, a big piece of it is that as you, again, get the fan base going, you gain sponsors, that can lead to more media rights deals, which then can lead to more sponsors. 
the bigger name sponsors you get that elevate you, the more you can continue to negotiate higher media rights deals because it's a way for you, you, you act as a middleman, right? For essentially being and working with certain companies. If I'm a media rights deal that would love to advertise, let's say, um, I don't know, Gucci brand handbags, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm the fashion channel. I want to highlight all of these, you know, awesome fashion things, whatever. And I know I'm using a weird example, but that's just to drive my point home. Trust me. Um, you know, if I want to, on my fashion channel, make sure that I'm advertising all of the highest end fashion items during commercials, I have to go to them and be like, Hey, like, let's figure this out. And they're going to say, well, what show would you show our commercials in and all of this? And if they don't like the lineup of shows, they said, no, we're not going to submit a bid. But if let's say I'm working with a, the number one fashion show in the, the world where that's on my TV channel or streaming service is more apt to 2022. Sorry, I'm old. Um, you know, then at that point, okay, I've got the number one fashion show on my channel. Well, now all of a sudden Gucci and Dolce and Cabana and all of these people are vying to, you know, advertise with me. And and I'm able to sell them advertising space, which just bumps my revenue new up through the roof. And in turn, the number one fashion show is going to see that and say, hey, I brought you all these sponsors, so let's go ahead and up my rights deal for X amount of time. It works outside in something. It's it's just the general way the industry works is my point, right? When you're talking about the UFC, obviously you're talking about getting, you know, more and more sponsors. Zip Recruiter, I think was a big one. Um, Crypto.com was for the crypto space. Uh, You've got more and more sponsors coming in that are bigger, more mainstream names, which then will pressure ESPN come time for a media rights deal and and make no mistake the media rights deal is up in 2026 and we'll talk about this when we get into the ufc's future segment but they are going to play hardball it's not going to just be espn right there there's probably a lot of networks that want to get involved in this um not fox obviously which we'll talk about here soon but it it's just how it works so Key drivers, again, are commercial pay-per-view, which, again, I think is really bolstered by the theaters agreements um, as well as well as bars and, and just post-pandemic. We'll see how that holds up over the next couple of months because that will be important. Um, as the rest of the year goes on, will commercial pay-per-view at least maintain those levels or close to those levels? Uh, if we see a kind of sharp drop-off, all right, it was just a, like, pandemic's done type of boost, uh, then you've got the media rights deals, which we've just talked about, that are intertwined with the sponsorships, which they've been aggressive with the sponsorship side. And and I think they've done that, again, to build this snowball that will allow them to renegotiate much higher media rights fee- deal fees um, come 2026, 2025, 2026, when it's up. So... That's why we're seeing the best year the UFC ever saw um, with, with the also sold out pay-per-views as well. I mean, that helps boost it that level, but I think even without sold out pay-per-views and those gates, I think it's really sponsorship revenue being the biggest driver because internet national media rights deals are good, but I mean, sponsorships are, are the 59% jump in sponsorships are big, very big. And you don't know how many media rights, international media rights deals came up this past year. So, yeah, I mean, that's what we're looking at here. Great, great showing by Endeavor um, with some of their other segments. UFC still killing it. Well, I mean, there's, there's no other way to, to say it. They they knocked it out of the park. Home run is, is the only thing you can call this earnings call for both companies all right so now that we've talked about the actual call itself let's talk about the 
outlook for both Endeavor and the UFC. So a Morgan Stanley research report caught my eye, tweeted out by Fight Oracle. John Nash also talked about it a little bit. Um, if you've never seen a research report, important thing to note that I cannot drive home enough. This is one analyst's view. Um, that analyst represents Morgan Stanley. doesn't mean that every CFA in Morgan Stanley would agree with this equity analysis. They'd probably be somewhat in line, right? <laughs> but you never know. So <clears throat> again, it's, it's a, it's a thing. Uh, so anyway, looking at this research report, you've got an overstock or I'm sorry, overweight stock rating, which essentially means the stock is expected to perform better than it is right now. Um, just in the future, it's, it's going to do better. Uh, you've got Inline industry view, which means it's following industry standards, stuff like that. Price target is $40. What a price target is, is essentially an equity analyst saying, we think that the stock is going to go to this price based on this. Um, it also can mean, you know, sell at $40, right? We expect it to hold it by now. And then when it hits to $40, sell it until we know more. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it like that. I would say essentially for the short-term outlook um, based on a lot of long-term factors, we expect this, this share price to rise to $40. It currently closed as of March 16th at $27.87. Um, I think the last time I saw it, it was around 30-ish. So it's heading up, right? It's heading in that direction. They believe it's going to go to 40 they talk about a lot of specific growth catalysts here, again, on location, um, WME agency benefiting from COVID opening, uh, the 160 over 90 marketing agency that should also rebound. Uh, but then they go into, of course, the UFC because that's a huge factor. Specifically, Fight Oracle mentioned, and again, this is a big highlight of the report, that part of the growth catalyst they see for Endeavor as a whole is the UFC renegotiating their media rights two to two and a half times what they're currently at now. So in the report itself, right, that that's going to end up being, I mean, pretty, pretty insane. Because if you think about it, right, when we know from their media reports, um, their, their current media broadcast rights that goes through 2026 with ESPN, you're in the $500 million range. So if you get, you know, two and a half times that, uh, I mean, it, it literally is looking like $1.2, $1.5 billion, somewhere in that range, right? Um, I mean, that's nuts. That That's pretty, pretty insane. And again, this is estimated in terms of what they think the media rights deal. So uh, Morgan Stanley currently estimates it at $447 million um, for domestic rights in 21, 473 million estimated in uh 2022 so 1.2 billion would be around 1.2 billion would be around their estimates um and again shout out to fight oracle who is, knows his stuff is always on top of this and john nash of course who i talk about all the time uh so a lot of a lot of things that make sense with with those growth targets right um we just talked about sponsorship being up International media rights deals going 94% over, right? So domestic would be, that'd be quite a bit higher because you're looking at closer to um, 150% for a two and a half times rate. But that's not, you know, far-fetched, especially with how well they've done domestically with getting those partnerships getting the sponsorships that they needed, commercial pay-per-view being huge. And remember, when 2026 comes up, it's not that they're just negotiating with ESPN. They will be out there negotiating with big names. That's how we got from Fox to ESPN. It's a very, very big deal. So I would agree with a lot of this analysis for growth. I think if you're looking on the growth side of this, continuing to build sponsorships, continuing to build partnerships and cutting costs is only going to help you when you're 
deal with ESPN comes up. As long as nothing terrible happens in like 2025, 2026, that causes a downturn, you're almost certainly going to be able to negotiate for two times whatever you were paying before, two and a half. I would imagine you could get that done. And then there's the pay-per-view piece, right? Because ESPN Plus is the exclusive pay-per-view provider for right now, but that was a separate deal tagged on top of the ESPN Plus deal. So how that all functions is a whole nother beast, right? So it's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In terms of what could derail this target and these growth factors, um, I think there are a couple things, right? Endeavor as a whole, I think the biggest risk factor right now is stagflation or a recession. More and more indicators are are flashing of underlying problems in the economy. You have the Fed raising interest rates and then talking more aggressively about raising interest rates. Uh, More and more economists are ringing the alarm bells. It's not guaranteed we're going to go into a recession, right? Plenty of people have called for recessions and been wrong multiple times in this crazy bull run market that we've had since the Great Recession um, back in 08. But it, it certainly seems there are certain things trending right now leading to stagflation, which is high price increase while the economy slows, which is real bad, happened in the 70s, was not a good time. Uh, and then again, a recession. Will it come to pass? Who knows? But I would say it would not shock me at all to see a recession late this year or early next year. Um, Too many factors at play, too many things going on where the Fed doesn't have as many tools as they've had. They might be able to, to stick it, but I don't necessarily trust them given what we've seen from them in the past, pretty much. Uh, that's that's the easiest way I can put it. That's just my two cents on it. I'm not the guy to ask about this stuff. Um, but I could easily see a recession happening. That would kill a lot of the expected growth in the marketing agency, in WME's main agency, um, on location, obviously, less disposable income, We're already kind of feeling that right now with inflation, right? Uh, As prices go up, your dollars don't go as far. You're not going to necessarily pay for a VIP experience at the Super Bowl, right? Very rich people will, sure. And of course, very rich people do the Super Bowl anyway, but other events that on location would offer, you're going to have people start to be priced out. So important to note that that could easily derail a lot of that. Um, That could also affect the UFC as well, right? Pay-per-view prices are jacked. 75 bucks a pay-per-view. Just raising prices as much as they have in the past couple years, from 60 to 75, has already caused more people to illegally stream. If you hit a recession, where now you've got people losing jobs, um, yeah, I mean you are definitely going to see a decrease in pay-per-view. You probably won't see a decrease in ESPN plus numbers because it's cheap enough. Right. But maybe, right. It is a discretionary spend and, and that's where people kind of tighten things. It's low enough. I think ESPN plus would probably be okay, but pay-per-views would probably take a big hit still. And, and live events. I, I think live events would not necessarily sell out as much as they'd want, but it's going to be, minimized. UFC is very insulated right now based on the fixed revenue that they've arranged. It's very smart. It's something that they've needed to do for a long time. At this point, you know, if you had a full-blown recession, it's not going to be a fun time for the UFC, but like uh, it's not going to kill their growth by any means, in my opinion. It will slow it down. Year over year the growth will slow. They won't have the same record-setting years but they're still going to grow. They have too much fixed revenue and too good of cost-cutting measures in place. A full-blown recession isn't going to to kill them by any means. 
as long as it happens again within the next year or so. If it happens right before the TV deal and the numbers go down because it's that bad of a recession that people are cutting ESPN Plus, maybe, but I, I still don't see it. I really don't. I think they'll be fine. Um, so that's the big risk for Endeavor. Oh, it's a very minute risk for the UFC in my mind. It's minimized in terms of that impact. Um, the only thing that will happen there is if the other businesses of Endeavor's portfolio aren't pulling their weight when that happens and the UFC has to kind of step up again, then you're going to see the UFC going to, again, aggressive cost-cutting measures, probably letting some bigger names go um, that are making more money but aren't necessarily in in title contention, that type of thing, because they will pull out all the stops to keep Endeavor alive. That's really the main way I can see it affecting the UFC. The UFC specifically, I think, again, there are two big headwinds. Um, one, the antitrust lawsuits. You've got a growing chorus of people talking about how fighters are underpaid, um, bigger stars speaking out, journalists speaking out. It's getting more and more attention. The antitrust lawsuit is still in in flux. We've got Judge Bulware just, I don't know what he's doing, just taking a vacation from it, I guess. But eventually his ruling will be written. His order will be written for class certification, at least by what we could tell from the last time he spoke. And then it will move to the next phase. And if that keeps going in the wrong way for the UFC, that's a gigantic risk, right? On the earnings call, you had you had an analyst ask Ari Emanuel about fighter pay, and they talked about, oh, well, fighter pay has risen 600%, but as John Nash and other people have pointed out, UFC revenue has, has grown by 1,700, 6,000, somewhere like that, in terms of, of the overall revenue. So fighters are still getting paid very little compared to what they're generating. That's only going to get louder as long as those lawsuits are in play. I think even with the lawsuits out of play, it's still going to be loud, but um, it's only going to get louder. You're only going to have more competition trying to break up that monospony. You've got Francis Ngannou talking about, you know, not re-signing and, and waiting to fight out his contract, which he did. He won, was a big gamble. It paid off. You're going to have more fighters looking to do that with the new sunset clauses added in there in response to the antitrust lawsuit. So five years and that contract is done. You are out unless you've signed another contract and then it restarts, but five-year contract maximums, that's massive. So again, that's a big risk. Another risk, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, is the NLRB case that is being reviewed. That particular case that is being brought will have implications because if, and we'll get further into it here, um, essentially unions could be forming. That's a huge thing. Again, we've talked about fighter unions multiple times on the show. There is a case right now that could potentially look to reclassify UFC fighters as employees rather than independent contractors. That would be a very big deal. It would allow the creation of a union. Even if it didn't create a union, it would cause a lot of extra costs for the UFC, a ton. Because as an employee, you have certain things you must offer. Independent contractors, not so much. Employees, you have to offer certain pieces of this. So again, an important catalyst that we need to identify. I think those are the two biggest headwinds. Um, other than that, UFC is in really good shape. So overall recession could easily hurt Endeavor and cause a little bit of pain for the UFC, but not so much. UFC, biggest obstacles, risks, antitrust lawsuit, potential NLRB cases that could lead to fighters being classified as employees instead of contractors. Real external government threats that you can't do much other than lobby, which the UFC does plenty of. Um, but that's about it. So they're in, they're in great shape overall. 
And I don't necessarily expect either of the obstacles to hurt the UFC anytime soon, even if, if things do change. But again, we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But they're they're in fantastic shape. I think there's a lot of room for growth and very few things that could completely derail, let alone even slow down that growth. All right. So speaking of growth and markets in the UFC, we've got to talk about the UK push lately, right? Um, This ties into what we just talked about in terms of international media rights deal, key catalysts of growth for the UFC. Paul Craig, maybe, again, uh, seems to have, have revealed that UFC has provisionally booked Liverpool and Manchester, and I think I think Glasgow as well. Um, or he wanted the fight in Glasgow, if he won. I think Glasgow's on there. I don't have it up in front of me. But um, for this year. So, again, London seemed to be a huge hit, and it looked like looks like they've got several other UK shows popping up. Now, Dana White said, oh, yeah, it's because we love you guys. You guys always bring the energy and the post-fight presser for London. But the fact that their international deal with the UK, their media rights deal with the UK ends this year, this is what you do. You do a roadshow. You say, hey, I know our deal's up and we're going to be asking for more money. Let me show you why you should pay us more money than you did last time. And London was a great example of that, right? Um, Crowd went nuts. You had pretty much everybody that the UFC could hope to win, win. Um, I mean, was was very big. Only only a couple of home time. Mike Grundy lost. I can't think of another one who, uh, a Jai Herbert um, and Mike Grundy, I think are the only two off the top of my head where they, the hometown uh, fighters lost. Other than that, you know, the big names, Molly McCann, Patty Pimblett, Tom Aspinall all went out there and had stellar performances. That's uh, It's big. And you've got Patty Pimblett getting that star shine and, and getting the platform to kind of show himself. It certainly seems like he's he's got the charisma to go far with the marketing power. Um I'm not sold on the skills yet, but that's a different, that's a different. So again, you have the athletes that you wanted to push do very well. You go out and you say, it's all about, you know, UK guys, you're just so great. And and now it's the perfect segue into, oh, you know what? We loved you guys so much in London. We said we had to go back this year. Well, you've already provisionally booked this. And again, the underlying cause is because UK media rights are up this year. I keep telling you guys, and I will tell you this over and over and over and over again. The UFC does not make emotional decisions, at least not nearly as much as it seems to be portrayed, both the media and by fans. They are a cold calculating business. That's how they've gotten to where they are. It's all about numbers for them, for the most part. You do have... The occasional emotional decision, yes. Um, we Sam Alvey is a perfect example of that, I think. Uh, but, um, but for the most part, especially on the big decisions, it's it's all calculated out well in advance. That's part of why they're so successful. There isn't a lot of emotional reactions. You don't have a wild, you know, CEO going nuts with with decision-making because again, we don't again, know exactly the breakdown of functions for Dana versus uh, chief business officer uh, Hunter versus Epstein, right? Like COO Epstein. We, we know a lot of what each of them does, but you don't have this wild tyrant going off and making crazy decisions. Dana has done some things that obviously from a PR perspective aren't ideal, but he's also done a lot from a PR perspective that's pretty much right on the money for his target customer base. That's always important. 
if your customer base loves it, it doesn't really matter what the rest of, of the media and mainstream thinks. If you're trying to acquire new customer target segments, well, that makes it harder. You're trying to go more mainstream, sure. But if you're just trying to keep that base happy and you're trying to grow out what you perceive to be the future of that base and it all lines up, it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but another factor in this, again, is, and, I, and we're going to just segue right into it, with Patty Pimblett's salary, Pimblett was clearly the star of the show, right? A lot of that was media hype, um, where if you guys don't realize this, I'm sure a lot of you do. Some of you might not recognize it. When somebody's being called a star in the media all the time, a lot of that is also the media making them into a star, telling the fan base, like, this guy's a star. It's amazing because they heard it from one or two people. And, yes, some people have that natural charisma. Clearly, you know, um, Adesanya does, uh, Pimblet does, McGregor being the biggest. But the media helps generate a lot of that. And so in terms of that type of attention and, and shine, Pimblet was the star of the show. Aspinall, in my opinion, is is really the more rightful star from a competitor standpoint, from what he was able to do, all of that. But he is just overshadowed by Pimblet, who's who's essentially trying to be pushed as the next big thing. And there were fake salaries released, um, you know. And and I'm not. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to on this one because. Pimblet came out and, and rebutted it where fight scout uh, app essentially said, Hey, here are the salaries and payouts. And then somebody said they got payouts from uh, MMA black belt or something. And that's where they got it from. I don't know. But I, again, salaries are, are completely made up. They're completely made up. I don't know how many times I have to reiterate that. And yet they get a ton of attention and a bunch of fans are like, wow, I can't believe you get paid that much. And Pimblet himself, Shout out to Patty Pimblett, who said, this isn't even remotely true. I forget how much they said he was making. I think it was around 107000 or something like that. Something ridiculous. And then Pimblett spoke with Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports and revealed, no, I made 12 k to show, 12 k to win, and then I got a bonus because I, I got a finish. So it was wildly off. I mean, we're talking just so far off, it's not even funny. And this is the type of stuff that has been out there for a while now and has been getting, and I've been hammering saying, stop doing this. Yeah, $107,000 is what was, was said. And he says, I wish I was getting paid that. Yeah, stop making salaries up. And if you see it, call them out block them, shame them, do whatever you have to do on social media because that just perpetuates just perpetuates this rumor that, oh, fighters are getting paid a ton. What are you talking about? They're not getting paid this much. No. And again, we're not going down the moral, moral side of it. Talk about the business side. We know that fighters, that that's their cost-cutting competitive advantage. 12K, 12K for a guy that was clearly the star of that show. And I'm sure the next fight he has, he will probably get offered a new contract and sign up. I mean, it sounded, uh, based on what he said with uh, Portnoy, it sounded like he was already offered a new contract before the initial fight. I don't know exactly how that works, all of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts that you're big star that brought in a huge gate for, for the O2 arena made that amount of money. And if you're a business is nuts in the best way possible, right? That's like paying, <laughs> that's like paying, you know, the, your director of operations, who's doing everything, coordinating everything, all that stuff, paying a minimum wage and having him streamline a bunch of efficiencies so that you get a huge amount of revenue or, or rather probably a better, uh, 
metaphor or comparison would be paying your sales guy minimum wage, no commission. And, and he's one of the best sales guys out there. As a business, that's a dream. Wait, I have to pay you like 30, 30K a year and you're going to bring me million dollar deals? Awesome. That's that's kind of the equivalent here. So for, as a business, for the UFC, again, they killed it. They absolutely killed it with their structure. And until uh, there's some outside intervention, I mean, there you go. But yeah, if you see the fake salaries, shut them down. Please shut them down. Just because we want the truth of business here, right? That, that's a big, big part of this. Um, so again, the UFC is killing it from that perspective. Um, there's no denying that they went out there and that they probably will have a couple of UK shows again this year. And they will put maybe again, Paul Craig in there. Uh, you could have Pimblet headline it or be in the co-main right up there. Um, I think you could probably headline based on what happened in the O2 and, and you get to the end of that year and you say, look at what we did. You really want to miss out on this and have us go to your competitor, right? And then you've got Channel 4 and BBC and everybody else fighting over it. Um, that's that's how it works. So that's why they're focusing on the UK this particular year. Media rights deal is up. And again, Pimblet is going to get pushed, paid more. I'm sure he will negotiate a higher contract, but he still won't get paid nearly as much as he's probably generating but for the business side of thing, that's good, right? You, you couldn't have had you couldn't have had it go better for UFC London if you're the UFC from a business perspective. All right, so last couple of things we have to wrap up here. Big one in that the National Labor Relations Board (NLRB) prosecutors have opened a case that could reverse the Trump era board president that makes misclassifying an employee as an independent contractor, a standalone unfair labor practice. So to give you some background on this, and this goes partially to uh, Leslie Smith's complaint, but you know, more so Uber and, and um, Lyft classifying their, their drivers as independent contractors and all of this. Um, not specifically that, but um, any, anyway, before I go down a rabbit hole and confuse everyone. Essentially, you had this case, which was Velux Express Inc. And it was a, a shipping company that operated a courier service. In 2016, it engaged drivers classified as independent contractors to drive to hospitals and other medical facilities, all this stuff. Um, and an um, independent contractor you know, was, was terminated and filed an unfair labor practice, uh, citing, you know, that she was an employee, not an IC that they had violated that she'd be discharged, all this other stuff without getting too far into it. Right. They had a trial, all this stuff, but they, the ruling was essentially that misclassifying independent contractors, versus employees does not violate the National Labor Relations Act. So you could, again, call somebody an independent contractor, uh, treat them kind of like an employee, and there could be an issue there. But really, that alone, just in and of itself, where it's like, well, it probably should have been, you know, a, an employee instead of an independent contractor, but they weren't. Uh, um, that alone doesn't violate the law. And that set a precedent that, again, makes it so that a lot of gig economy workers are, are left without benefits, without some of the protections of forming a union, going on strike, all that fun stuff uh, that an employee would. So now to present day, Five trucking, warehouse, and logistics companies in Southern California have apparently violated federal labor law, according federal labor law. Sorry, long night. Um, according to this new case, if 
this case goes to trial and then it goes to this new board, which is much more on the side of unions, right? This is a Biden administration, a Democrat uh, led NLRB, the former chair and other members were ousted when Biden arrived. And I, I did an episode on it. You go back and look about how I, this could affect things down the line. This could be the case. If this case goes to trial and the board reverses the Trump era decision, that's that's huge because it essentially means that if you misclassify somebody as a contractor when they should be classified as an employee, you've now violated the NLRA. You now have a lot more teeth to con- and consequences of doing that. If this were to go through, and again, that were to happen, set the new precedent, you could see fighters essentially say, hey, this isn't all right. This is a problem, right? Um, you could see, again, Le- Leslie Smith reopen her case or, or appeal, rather. Um, send that over. There, there are many fighters that could easily open a case if this were to change against the UFC. And if that happens... And then you get the NLRB in there and and basically deciding whether or not fighters are independent contractors or employees, and then they side with employees. Big problem. And that's part of what the UFC has done with restructuring their contracts, right? That's why they added the sunset clause. That's why they've kind of let some other fighters go and test free agency. They've wanted to move away from the stranglehold they had because they saw this coming. They knew this was a risk. They decided to mitigate that risk by making changes in fighter contracts, uh, starting to move certain pieces in place so that if there was a showdown, they'd have more to fall back on and say, look, we don't. Here's here's X, Y, and Z that prove you're an independent contractor, not an employee. That being said, there's enough there. This could be a contentious case. If a fighter were to bring that against the UFC in a pro-union NLRB that had just passed a case, a new precedent that overturned the Trump administration's precedent, um, that could spell trouble. That's a big risk if that happens. So this is an important case to keep an eye on. Um, I don't know the specific name of what this case will go down as it's against universal logistic holdings Inc. So I'm assuming that will be, you know, just like Velux express, this will be called universal logistics holdings. It's important to keep an eye on this. I will be watching out for it. I will be looking at, um, you know, where this seems like it might land. If there's a decision, obviously I'll bring that to you guys, but very important because if that precedent gets set, You've got at least, depending on when the case happens and the the new precedent is arranged, if that even happens, you've got a certain span of time, again, where it's unlikely anything will change at the NLRB until another presidential election. There's not really much chance of that. You could have a fighter step in and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and go after the UFC here, and then you're after the races. So, again, keep an eye on this case. I will keep you guys informed, but it's a big deal. All right, last one to wrap this one up. Triller has announced that it is buying Pillow Fighting Championship. Yes, you heard that right. Um, oh, man. So if you missed Pillow Fighting Championship, it was on, uh, I forget, during the pandemic. It was, you know, it was a whole thing. Um Seemed to get a little bit of, you know, traction, but not like a ton, right? Not like bare knuckle, all this stuff. Um, Triller's gone ahead and uh, bought it. Um, so I I don't even know what to say in terms of good deal, bad deal here. Um, it, it's touted as a family-friendly type thing. Strict rules, specialized pillows. Um, parents can sign up their children to participate apparently. So that's interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun in some ways and it could be, it could be a, a, 
product that hits a target market of of the families of MMA boxing fans, right? Anecdotally, um, you know, my girlfriend is is into MMA, but it took her a little bit. Um, and I have I have several friends where they have significant others that don't care to watch this. It's too bloody. It's too much violence. All that stuff. But a pillow fight championship, they'd probably get into, right? They could probably watch a pillow fighting match. So it's not a huge stretch to buy this and then kind of market it towards like, hey, like you're a hardcore fan, like get you know your your kids and and spouse into this and then you know oh who knows maybe your spouse starts to like the stuff you like and your kids grow up and start liking the stuff you like and then hey we've got new customers i think that's probably the overall idea i don't know for sure um details about the purchase in terms of how much it was acquired for and all that are unknown so it's hard to say if it's a good deal or bad deal too because we don't know exactly how much they paid for it that being said, Triller is on in a acquisition spree, right? This is a classic move from a growing startup company with a lot of, of backers in it. You you acquire a bunch of different things, um, do a lot of M&A to post up your, your public presence keep your investors happy by showing, Hey, here's what we're doing with this money. You gave you, we actually went out and got something like, check out what this does. This is how it helps our overall uh, strategic vision. Here's the capabilities and synergies. We'll get out of this, all of that. But this one is, is I would say in line enough with what Chiller seems to be selling, right? Between the concerts and the bare knuckle fighting and the slap fight stuff. I mean, it's, it's a circus. That's really what Triller is trying to do is embrace that true circus mentality. Kind of like fight circus, right? Lots of just goofy, goofy shit going on. Pardon my language. Uh, you know, the, the, that's what it is. It's really what it is. And so this falls under that. It's goofy enough that there will be people that watch this and be like, well, kind of cool. I want to see this, especially if it's easily marketable. And it's like, dude, check out pillow fights. This could be sweet. And as long as they didn't pay too much, I'm going to go ahead and say this is a good deal because it falls into that portfolio, that style that they're trying to put out there, their brand image. Triller puts on crazy concerts and crazy fights we do triad combat. We have Metallica play at a concert. We uh, have Jake Paul fight somebody. We have a debut of a new rap uh, group with Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube and all these people. We have a slap fight in the back with Ric Flair um, and Pete Davidson, you know, essentially moderate. It fights that, or it, it fits into that circus vibe. And we've talked about, they need to have a, a, couple of real actual fights, which they're trying to do. They did horribly with their purse bid. That's a whole nother story um, for, uh, it escapes me right now, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, look it up. And then uh, this, this fits their brand. It fits their brand enough. As long as they didn't pay a ton of money for this, it makes all the sense of the world. It's a good deal. If they paid significant amount of money for this, this is a bad deal because they're not going to get a huge revenue boost over it. But I can't imagine they did. Right. I can't imagine they paid a bunch of money for this. That's really the X factor here. I'm going to assume they paid a fair price or a small premium at, at the most um, for this promotion. And if that is the case, it makes sense. If they paid any sort of significant multiple for what Pillow Fighting Championship was doing, or, you know, you're in like, I would say even like high high six figures, but even mid six figures maybe. Uh, then maybe you've messed up here. I don't know. I, I personally think probably needs to be like low six figures or high five figures. Probably not that low, but low six figures would, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that would be all right. But yeah, in terms of brand, it makes sense. How they'll market it, how they'll do it, especially if they get celebrities to do it. 
I, I think there's some capabilities there. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually like the deal. I'm going to say good deal. I'm going to say good deal. Roast me in the comments if you think I'm wrong. Because, yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for watching, listening. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Spotify, Anchor, uh, Apple Podcasts, what have you, really appreciate it. Again, make sure you're going to the SureDog site. It's not coming through the old links that it was before. Um, it is now coming through the SureDog sites. So make sure you're, you're going there if you want to listen. Um, I, I will try and backfill some of it and then try and put an announcement out there, but just make sure you're going to SureDog's site. With that in mind, uh, I know this is probably coming out a little bit later than I had hoped, uh, but you know that's on me. Shout out to John Brannigan um, and the SureDog team for all the editing and stuff that he does. That man is a workhorse. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope this has been helpful. want you guys to give me any feedback you had about anything that I covered today. I know we covered a lot. Uh, appreciate you sticking with me. Appreciate you guys getting into this. Hit me with some questions on this. I would love to answer questions about this stuff. This this is the stuff that really excites me going into the financial data, seeing you know kind of the growth future outlook, doing the investment analysis. I know I'm a super nerd. Get over it. Um, but with that in mind, until we speak again, get money.